0: Glad you're all here to join us. Uh, We're kicking something off today, and I'd really like to uh, get as much uh, participation in the process as we possibly can uh, because um, it, uh, I think, is going to be well worth our time. One of the things that... Uh, as we're moving into 2020, that I've really wanted to underscore is our engagement with the book of Psalms. And I know that probably doesn't sound very glamorous, but if you've gone through the 21 days of prayer uh, with us in the last month, uh, you know that there's something in the Psalms that are well worth discovering. And I want to draw that out. And I want to do so in a way that makes it meaningful and hopefully in in, in each of your lives uh, significant as far as where you're at with God and where he is with you and how you can talk to him and how you can hear his voice Uh, in the process of just kind of meeting uh, each other there before God's throne. um, I wanted to thematically uh, have as a point of sort of focus uh, the notion of, Of the superhero especially um, a a particular family of superheroes called the Incredibles. Anybody familiar with the Incredibles? Okay Uh, back around 2004 maybe 2005 I think when we first moved out here uh, they launched the first version of the Incredibles and uh, after we watched it as a family we really enjoyed it and we were just Hoping that you know they would come with a uh, with 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 the Incredibles 2 very quickly. Well, if if you've been waiting like me, that didn't come out until what a couple of years ago. And when it did, it's sort of like, yeah, that that thing kind of had a moment, but now it's sort of passed. But what I noticed is that whenever it uh, it, it was it was rolled out again, um, there had there, been developments within the family and one of those developments that maybe if you watched it like I have, there's been drama and family drama and the things that happen in any life whenever you spend life together with other people for a length of time, it gets complicated. And sometimes it gets so complicated that we we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to address it. We don't know how to overcome it. And on the horizontal plane, whenever we're just talking about working through things with each other, that's one thing. But a lot of times our problems are so, well, they're so complicated or they are so beyond our capacity that we need divine help. We need God. And the thing about The Incredibles, I think, is interesting. Like any other CGI superhero uh, uh, storyline that you have on cinema, is there's always an event that occurs that enables an ordinary person to become a person of immense capabilities that are just out of the ordinary. And it's that capacity that an ordinary person has that I want to focus on. And I want it to kind of come alive in your life and mine, because I think there is something there. The Incredibles, whenever they were uh, first um, you know, showing up on the screen, uh, it, it really was a family dynamic that had happened as a result of some genetic aberration that occurred in, in, in a husband and a wife who now are producing children that have their own capacities in their own way that's very different uh, from the kind that they each have in and of themselves. And it's very intriguing for me because it, 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 it parallels a lot what I see happening in, in our lives in the life of the church. For instance, ordinary people like you and I... Gather in a place like this, and we start to connect with each other, and we create a family. And in the process, as we do, we start to attend to that vertical relationship that we have with God. And through that, we find ourselves well, seeing life differently. We find ourselves having uh, abilities to pray, to have the right attitude. To love other people even more than we ever have before, we find ourselves growing in these capacities that we would never have grown in had we not been in this environment. There's something about this environment that's kind of like a gamma ray to a superhero before he became a superhero and then after the gamma ray event, they, they were never the same. And I I really want to see that happen in 2020 in the lives of our people. And oddly enough, one place that I think it can happen very well is in the book of Psalms. Now the Psalms, interestingly enough, are something that probably everybody's heard of. They've heard of the 23rd Psalm and maybe a few others. And it's something that a lot of people have read and they're not really sure what to do about it, partly because, well, they can be very emotional. They can be pretty harsh. And at times they can just be crying out. And as we read them, they're almost too human feeling. And did you know that the Psalms were, from the standpoint of the people during the New Testament time, which would be hundreds of years after they were written, whenever they thought back on what the Word of God meant prior or what people read prior to them coming into existence with Jesus in their world... Those people said, we're going to go back to the Psalms, and we're going to discover God through the Psalms. Why? Because they saw Jesus go back and do exactly that. Did you know that Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book? And there's, how many books are in the Old Testament? Anybody know? Anybody want to guess? 39? Does that sound right? Okay. All right. 39 books. And they said, The Psalms are our go-to because they were Jesus' go-to. And so when you read the New Testament, the Psalms are quoted more than any other book. So I figure that there must be something there. That must be the secret sauce for the church. Anybody have a recipe that you don't want to share? Anybody have a mom who has a recipe they don't want to share? Well, that's the way my mom is to my wife. She's like, tell me how to make your noodles. My mom's like... Well, you need a half an eggshell of this and you need a dab of that and it's just indecipherable. Code language for I have the secret sauce and I ain't sharing. And sometimes that's the way it is, isn't it? You know that you've got something dialed in so well and everybody's coming from all over to have it in my mom's noodles. We travel to Illinois to have them. That's what people have on on the menu. First item they check is, yeah, her, her noodles. And I don't know if she'll ever share what the secret sauce is, but whoever gets, whoever's bequeathed with that recipe, they'll be a powerful person in our family. They will have... The ruling option to say, Yeah, we're meeting at our house this time and next time and the time after. There's something about the secret sauce that changes everything. And for the believer, I truly believe that our secret sauce is prayer. Now, as simple as that sounds and as maybe cliche as that sounds, I, I truly think that that's that is where it's at. Why is that? Because by design God has asked us to pray. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And from our point of view, God's given us free will and we try to do things on our own and a lot of times God will say, "You just go ahead and do it on your own." And when we do, we find oftentimes what we can bring to it isn't enough. And Jesus prompts us and he says, "Why don't you pray?" And see what happens. And we do. And we discover that there's a whole divine component. That comes to bear upon that situation. And things do change. And I was just talking with a friend of mine. About surviving cancer. And I'm thinking of all the people. That we prayed for. And I don't know all the mechanisms in place. But I do know that things changed. And I know families who started praying together. It's that old cliche once again. But true. Well, they start getting aligned and they start thinking the same way and they stay together. But a lot of us don't really know how to pray. And the Psalms actually, interestingly enough, are God's prayer book. They are, well, let me just describe it this way. There's a man in the Bible who we've probably all heard of named King David. And what we discover about King David is that He's the one person from being a child to the, the day that he dies. We have a pretty open book description of everything that happened in his life. I mean, would you like that? Would you like for somebody to just kind of track along with you and all the events and episodes of your life? Uh, I just want to tell you, these are going to be recorded so that 3,000 years later, people are going to be studying your life. I would say no thanks. But the thing that I found helpful about David's openness to do that is the truth of the matter is he's just a human being just like us. Now he's a king obviously but he has feet of clay where he's made poor choices and he's suffered consequences and he's had his painful moments and he's cried out to the Lord so many times that as he did he started to write down what those cries were. And for the first, after Psalm 1, almost the first 40-some psalms are just him writing his thoughts in poetic fashion about how it is that he brought whatever he was concerned about to the Lord. And what's so interesting about it is the Bible isn't really what I call an emotional book, but he's pretty emotional, it's like everything that he says has some kind of emotional component. Whether he's happy or whether he's sad, whether he is mad, whether he is just put off by somebody or he's feeling deep shame for things that he's done against people that he loves or the God that he serves. And he doesn't pull any punches. He writes it all down. Now, if, if you guys in this room are like me, you've experienced that whole range of emotions, haven't you? And you know what it's like to cry out to God when you feel like he's not there anywhere to be found. And you know what it's like to celebrate whenever there's a blessing. And you know what it's like to feel betrayal whenever you, well, whenever you betrayed the Lord. And maybe somebody's done that to you. And you know all of those things that we wounded by and traumatized by. This guy just wrote it all out there. In pretty, I wouldn't say graphic language, but it's pretty explicit. He's not being using profanity, but he's just saying what's on his heart. And how he writes it, from the standpoint of myself, it just connects. It just makes total and complete sense. And I, I, I've really pondered the Psalms for a long time. But one of my visions or dreams is, I would love... To have a year, and I think 2020 is a good year, where our whole church is reading the Psalms together. And we're praying through the Psalms. And that's a pretty tall undertaking. But I found, I think, some hope whenever I, I saw so many people go through the 21 days and then ask me after that, well, now that I've established a three-week habit of being in the, in, in the Word and I've gotten up in the morning and prayed, and in my case, my, my wife and I were praying together, it's like, what do we do now that we don't have that guidebook anymore? So I did the equivalent of going down in the basement last week and I put together... Uh, prayer journal for psalms 1 through 25 and it's a lot like the the prayer journal we did for the 21 days it's free it's right outside the back door uh Brittany put a whole bunch of these together and i'd encourage uh each family to take one before you go if you like and essentially just continue that habit uh, beginning of beginning your day i mean it got to the point where we we stopped doing it and then mandy's like you know what my day was a wreck because i didn't i'm like yeah me too. I didn't spend time with the Lord either. And she didn't even have to finish the sentence. And it became sort of a game changer because over time as you do it, you realize no matter what the circumstances are that you're going through, there's something about starting your day off with the Lord that just changes your outlook and how you navigate things. And sometimes the day just goes better. And I'd like to see our people discover that experience through engaging with the Lord through the Psalms on top of everything else that you have going on in your life. Because I really believe it's the secret sauce for us. I truly do. Last year we kind of experimented with it. We had the elders gather and pray every, every time they gathered. And then every every month we gathered here uh, as elders and prayed. And I, I truly think it, it changed a lot. Regarding the spiritual temperature within our building. And within all of the things that are happening here. Uh, I, I don't know how to say it anymore. Other than it is, it is just that important. Let me tell you how important it is. So last Uh, month or so my wife said I'm going to a music convention in Cincinnati and I don't really want to go by myself would you mind driving me down there and I said well that's great how long is it going to be and she said well it's going to be Wednesday night through Saturday and I'm like are we staying in a hotel yeah "Uh, are we having to pay for it no I'm like I'm on it so here we go we get down there And it's not what you think. I don't know what you're thinking, but it's not what you think. We had in the hotel room, uh, it's basically a desk and it was a real long one with drawers on either end and a TV over here. I sat on this side with my computer. She sat on the other side looking at me with her computer and she's working on her master's uh, online. And so every night when she got done, guess what we'd do? We'd go get a bite to eat and I'd keep working on this And she'd keep working on her master's uh, work. And then we'd crash, get up in the morning, do it all over again. And it was awesome. I was able to get this thing together. I told Brittany, I said, I will have it to you by Monday at 1.30. And, or not Monday, Friday at 1.30. And Friday at 1.29, I texted her and I said, guess what's finished? And so she printed it out for you guys on Friday. And then I, I re, re-reviewed it last night. And I'm like, oh, I got a couple of typos. Oh, man. But if you can forgive that, I think this will help us in the process uh, to, to connect with the Lord into the psalm. So. The things that I say—it's just a one-page description of each psalm, and in this case, for the next month, starting officially on Groundhog Day, because why not, right? Because groundhogs are important and they're defining regarding our fate. And no, they're not. They're not. I I asked people this morning, "Did the groundhog see a shadow?" Don't know. I said, "You're kidding me." So you have no idea what the spring is going to be like. They're like. Yeah, I kind of do. It's probably just going to be more of this. I'm like, you don't believe in the groundhog? And I started to get a little bit indignant. Then I realized something. What we're doing here is a little bit more profound than just trusting groundhogs for a possible or not possible outcome of our lives. But I think a lot of people are sort of there and that is really kind of the magical thinking that they're caught up in that my problems of my life, my destiny, my big concerns, I'm going to just tag them to a groundhog and I'll be good. But other people have said, I've tried that and I just don't believe it anymore. And David said, I had a lot of things go on in the course of my life. Some of them were pretty awesome. And some of them were just downright traumatic. But in every one of them, I knew one thing. The Lord was the answer for each and every problem that I faced. And when we go through the psalms, we'll discover that. So for six months, because there's 150 psalms, I'm going to put one of these together every month. If if you guys like it. If you don't, then I won't. But if this helps us to go 150, go the distance together, I got to think we're going to meet the Lord in good ways. So before I go any farther in this message series, I just want to stop and ask God to bless it. Would you bow with me? Father, I am so thankful for everyone that you've called into this gathering today. Lord, you know we bring a lot of stuff into this room from our lives, our families, our stresses, our work. And Lord, we are seeking answers from you. But even beyond that, we're seeking in a deeper way, you. And we're asking, Lord, that you would reveal yourself through the language of the Psalms that will be sharing in together father we know that they are an expression of the language of david's heart but some way somehow you've translated that into a way that we can just read them and see you so help us to make that come alive together so that the questions that we have the problems that we face the things that just trigger us emotionally we can bring before your throne and know that you hear us. Bless this series that we're going through and bless 2020 in the lives of everyone here as we center it on you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm just going to start right out of the gate with Psalm 1. In this psalm, which we're, uh, we're going to be reading up on the screen, it's a description of a guy that has to make a choice or a gal. That really is what it's all about. And you have to settle this before you can even go into the rest of the Psalms. You have to decide one of two choices. One is, I'm going to follow God into the Psalms and let them lead where they may. Or the second one is, I'm just going to take my chances apart from the word of God and see how it goes. And I don't know about you, but, but I've been in that place where I've taken my life decisions and I've started to process them without any help from God or asking him. And a lot of times later on, I'm like, it felt like the right decision at the time. But in hindsight, it just made horrible sense. And the psalmist says, here's where we begin to get it right. He says... Blessed. There's only six verses. Blessed is the man. And I just want to underscore that word blessed real quickly because it is an important Bible word. When you see that word blessed, it's almost worth underlining. It is so critical to the understanding of the Bible that it should be mandatory that we do a remedial class on blessing. I mean, that's how the whole creation begins with the notion that God wants to bless it so that inside of it, where we dwell, we're blessed in it. And God's whole idea is probably very similar to the idea that we have when we bring children into the world. We want them, we want to see them do well. And God looks at you and I and he says, I want to see you do well. But I also realize this you're not always gonna. And chances are, it's because of a choice that you made between one of two choices. One is, you started out your walk, listening to people who had nothing to do with God. Or standing at the water cooler next to people who were gossipy, who were negative, who just had a view of life that, well, just felt kind of fatalistic, like, I can't ever get ahead. Or the seat of scoffers, where you're sitting down with them and you're having a long conversation about what's happening in your world and they're weighing in on it without any reference from God whatsoever. And it's just a fine way of describing how you and I are social creatures. And part of our identity, part of what's inside of us, is the result of the five people that we hang out with the most the five people or the predominant groups of people that you spend time with will actually define you. Sociologists have looked at the human being and they've said they're kind of made of two things. Half of us are intrinsic, that is how we build into ourselves, how we've been built into defines our personality, how we're gonna look at life, what we value, what, what, what our preferences are, how it is that we want to present ourselves. These things all come from inside, and that's part of our identity. And as we go through life, we either build into that, or we do things that sort of destroy it. But nonetheless, about, let's just say half. Half of us defines who we are because of the choices that we've made early on that I want to be that person, or our parents have bake that into us. And then the other half of it is, it's who you hang around with. And we know this from school, don't we? You remember in high school or junior high, there were cliques, little groups of people. And let's say you were were friends with a basketball player, but you weren't a basketball player. But you happened to be a geek like you had the calculator and you had all those things that said I have no athletic ability whatsoever and the friend who's a basketball player and the geeks meet at a Dairy Queen and you see your friend who's the basketball player he sees you but he knows something he knows that groups are oppositional we just sort of default by saying We thrive on making ourselves look good by making you look bad. By exaggerating how great we are and how insufficient you are. It's human nature. We do that in all kinds of groups. And so here's your dilemma. You're friends with that fella who plays basketball. He's friends with you. You go up and talk to him. He's got a dilemma because his choice is If I identify with my basketball friends, then I've gotta not associate with him. But if I associate with him, then I'm giving bad commentary to my basketball friends. You with me? I know it's complicated and it's early, but we all have to make a choice about who we socially align with because we want to be like those people. We want their identity to be our identity. And when you're, when you're in high school, you want to be in a lot of groups and you find that you just sort of shapeshift to different groups' values and ways so that you, you fit in. But eventually, you've got to come to the conclusion that I've I got to be the same person everywhere. And I've got to decide what groups I want to take part in That will be in alignment with the things that I value. And all the psalmist is saying is. Just back up and take a look at the social side of your identity. And ask the question. Are the groups that you are a part of. Adding to your identity. Or are they confusing your identity. And probably part of us are in this room. And have come to places like this. Because we're honestly a little confused. we got commitments there. And we got commitments there. And there are two different worlds. And I feel like I'm two different people sometimes. Well God says. There are two groups here that I, I want you to identify with. There are groups of people that say. There is a God. And that God brings order to my life. And he is trustworthy. And he is, he is a God worth serving. And there are another group of people that say, there isn't really a God, or if there is, I may even go to church, but everything out there is fair game. I can act however I want to. I can behave however I want to. I can say whatever I want to. I can do whatever I want to. Because in reality, I'm a part of that group. And the psalmist is saying, you won't be blessed... If you try to do it both ways. That word blessing is is pretty interesting. Because I think it is the gateway to our superpower. It is a life. That acknowledges. That the source of everything that I need. Comes from God and God alone. Whether it's the. Relationship with my spouse that I enjoy, whether it's my children that I enjoy, even my dog that, well, God love him. He's a pain sometimes, but he's a blessing. And my home, and just on and on and on. There are all these things that I can assure you would never be a thing had not God been part of the equation. These are just blessings, they're part of our very subtle but very real superpower. It's a divine enablement and gifting to have things that we don't deserve, that God provides. But he's saying that can't happen if you're going that way and trying to go that way. So, what do you do? Because if you're like me, beyond the boundaries of this building here, six and a half days, I'm around a lot of people who could really care less about the Lord. And at times I have to ask the question, are they influencing me or as a pastor, am I influencing them? And my job really at this point is not to say, those are bad people out there and I'm going to hang out with people in here. My goal actually is to see everyone get blessed. To find that same path. But I have to decide who I keep company with because they're going to bundle stuff into my identity That I got to carry around with me. So, what do you do? Well, the psalmist says this start here. Be like the tree planted. And so, in the next slide, he talks about someone who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season. So, here's what he does or she they, they, they back away from their life situation from the people in their world from everything that's an influence and they just take some time and they meditate they read God's word they ask God in that still small voice to speak to us to nudge us to kind of reveal something to us And then God says, when you do that, that starts to affect who you become. It starts to define you. It starts to really just give you a certain distinct quality. And he compares it to a tree. And it's an interesting image because if if you ever had a tree in your backyard that was a fruit tree, and if you're a guy and I just triggered your unwillingness to mow over the fruit all the time and Hit apples with the mower and all that stuff. Just bear with me. Every tree has its own fruit for sure. And a lot of us have had apple trees, we've had pear trees, we've had walnut trees, and they each have a different kind of fruit altogether. And those trees are by design made to bear a certain kind of fruit. And you and I, interestingly enough, if we follow the Bible closely enough, You'll find that there's a tree almost in the background of every story for whatever reason. I mean, almost 800 times in the Bible, get this, almost 800 times in the Bible, there is either reference to a tree, or a product from a tree, or something to do with a tree. It's just always there in the background. It's like the magic eye, you know, you can't see it until your eyes get crossed just the right way, and all of a sudden you're like, oh... I didn't know that was there the whole time. And maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's just the ability to see something that you hadn't seen, but it's been there the whole time. The tree planted by streams of water, the psalmist is saying, you remember that tree? You know, the one, even in the garden. The tree that had so much to do with our story and And the aftermath of being kicked out of the garden, the tree's right in the middle of that. And did you know that the very first command that God ever gave humanity involved eating from trees? I mean, we think of it as not eating from trees, but the very first command is to eat. And actually in Hebrew it says, eat, eat. So, I'm 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 down with that, God. I'd love to eat. And, and, and so the very first command is to eat, and in this case, from trees. When we feed on something, or something rather goes into our being, it starts to define us. Now, I have trees out in my backyard, and I have them in my front yard, and I also have a septic tank in my front yard. And one thing that I've noticed is when my tree gets thirsty when it doesn't rain, it likes to invade the septic tank. I don't want to be too gross here, but I can tell you tree roots and septic tanks do not mix. And there's a part of me, quite honestly, that says, tree, why? Why would you go there? Why would you go to that sewer to nourish yourself? And I can just hear the tree saying, I'm not a tree hugger, but I can hear the tree saying, that's all the water that I'm aware of and maybe we've been sourcing our being and watering our spirit in places other than the clean pure water of god says he is like a tree planted by streams of water where there's just an unending supply of goodness that enables us to be hydrated and what he's talking about is just a profound image That defines your life and mine in so many ways. And one of them is. We all have to have a source. We do. But we got to decide. What is going to feed who we are. And the psalmist says right out the gate. You should perhaps start. With the things of God. And start meditating on the things of God. And it will begin to shape you. There's just one other word here I'd like to focus on with the tree imagery, and that is every tree has a fruit that is defined by how that tree is genetically programmed. And it doesn't change. The pattern in your mind of an apple is the same no matter what apple tree you're looking at. Same pattern. Same with a, a pear and same with a walnut. And when the Bible uses the word fruit, oftentimes it's referring to a pattern that comes out of your life. You know, something that you start to see that, yeah, this is whenever I get stressed, this is my go to. Whenever I get angry, this is what I do. Whenever I'm frustrated with somebody, this is how I confront them or don't confront them. Whenever I feel desperate and I don't know what to do, this is what I do. That's my pattern. And what the person who sources their life does is they start defining God as that source. And in each of those situations that we face that put our backs against the wall, God starts to show us what our pattern needs to be. And one of the most important ones just out of the gate is prayer. And he tells us that in its season, because how many of you pray a prayer and then the next day God doesn't answer it. And then you say to yourself, I asked God and he didn't do anything about it. Now if my life wasn't too complicated, that would probably be a pretty easy thing. But if I pray a prayer like I'd like for my wife and I to get along better. I'd like for my kids to to grow in a certain way. I'd like for the people in our church to be healthy. Do you think God's going to say, Leonard, tomorrow when you come in, everything that you ask me to do is done. And there would be a part of me that would say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, that can't be. Because it takes a while for things to happen. And if you just imagine what God sees when he looks at us, I like to think of it like an orchestra, where each of us has our own unique descriptor. And when we're all going the same way, and God is the conductor, and we're playing our instrument, however it is that he calls us to do it, and God is saying, you guys over here, You are, you guys look like trumpet people. You guys over here, you guys, piccolos. Over here, we got the sax. Over here, we have percussion. And over here, we have the flute section. And just bear with me, okay? I'm the only musically challenged person in my whole family. I married my wife because I couldn't play an instrument. Okay, it's out there. You you happy now? Okay. But when God's a conductor, he just takes the uniqueness of who we are and he brings it into a symphonic representation. Because we've rooted ourselves in him. We've sourced ourselves in him. We've aligned our life with him. Our identity begins to take shape relative to whatever instrument he calls us to play. And then we do it together in a concert together. Only God can do that. If you want to go fast, do it by yourself. If you want to go far, then you do it in a group. And God really has this image of... Things going well. Now he's just talking about one person, but he's talking to each of us as if we are just he and I. But he's telling each of us this, so that what is the end result is good, that we prosper. And I'm not talking about health and wealth here where you're saying I prayed this prayer I sent money into a guy he gave me a prayer shawl I'm a millionaire. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having all of your steps that you that you traverse through life with engage with the presence of God so that his blessing is upon you and things begin to happen that are good. That make you rich. Can anybody in this room tell me if in the things of the Lord you are rich? Raise your hand. I see some hands going up. That's weird because that's not an accountant's measure for wealth. But it is a godly measure for what counts. And so here's how the psalmist ends it. He just wants to embed a few thoughts in our minds by showing things in contrast. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All he's doing here is telling you and I there is this way and this way is best understood in relation to the way that you don't want to go. And a lot of times, the Psalms are written in a way that compares two things so that we see them in contrast. For example, went to Cincinnati with my wife, and we went out and got a, got a hamburger. And on Yelp, it said, they have the melt-your-face burger. And I just love hot stuff. And I said, honey, we're going there. So I walked in there and I'm not trying to be like, you know, the ghost pepper guy or anything like that. I just like a hot hamburger. And so I told the waitress or the server, I'd, I'd like to have a, I'd like to have a melt your face burger. She just looked at me like, you sure? I'm like, I think so. So Mandy's like, don't cry to me and not at tonight whenever your stomach's not feeling good. And I said, honey, just have some faith for once. And as um, I'm eating this hamburger, I'm comparing it to one I just had a couple of weeks ago at Coaches. And I'm like, it's a great hamburger, but they forgot the hot sauce. I said, honey, this isn't a hot hamburger at all. Do you see my face melting? And I just kind of stopped right there. I was disappointed because I had high hopes that it would contrast well with one that I had at Coach's the other day. And really, by contrast, say all the things you want, but does my face look melted? No. Well, maybe it does. <laughs> but, and, and besides, you know, it's not what is outside that counts, but it's what's inside, right? I mean, that's really what this is truly all about. You can take all the behaviors you want socially and say, I'm with that group of people because I hang out with them. And God loves to have people gather in his church. And he loves to see us be welcoming and hospitable and loving because that's why we're here. But he's got something else in mind. And it's part of a long process that maybe he's been working on that has gotten you to this step right here. And maybe it's because somebody prayed. And the process is going to continue on. But it's going to be almost invisible in a lot of ways. But in other ways, you'll see clues that it's happening. That God is changing you and I from the inside out. Now... I'm just going to be real careful here in the next thing that I'm going to do. But if you've noticed my shirt, and I'm only going to go so far here because this is church. I have inside of me something incredible. And it's more than just a t-shirt. It's not a t-shirt that makes me incredible. But it is the Lord inside of me at work that is incredible. And the shirt is just a symbol of that. It's a signpost. And for the believer, it goes beyond just shirts that you wear and gear that you have. It has a lot to do with your pattern. What are people starting to see coming from your life under conditions that are stressful? Under conditions where you have every right to be vengeful. Under conditions where you have been betrayed. Under conditions where you have been hurt. Under conditions where you have been disappointed by God. All of those things and so much more. God says, once I begin to change you on the inside like I did David, you'll respond differently. You'll actually respond in a healthy way. And people will notice that there is something inside of you It's different. Now, if if you need a shirt, we can get you a shirt. We got plenty. But I'm not really about the shirt as much as I am about the superpower itself. And it's really just him. And inviting him into your life, into your heart, and then maintaining his presence there. I'm in the elevator, and this happens a lot to me as a pastor, and nobody knows who I am. And I get into a conversation with someone, and they tell a joke. And it's pretty off-color, and it's pretty misogynist. And I have two responses here, because there's other people in the elevator. My response is, I can be the cool guy, and I can just kind of laugh along with it, and everybody slaps one another's backs, and it's all good. But then I'm just saying, Jesus, I don't really want you close right now. Not here, not under these conditions, because these are different rules. And Jesus may be saying whether you're standing in an elevator, whether you're sitting with people that say if you want to get ahead in life, you have to play the you have to play by 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 our rules. Or if you're just walking alongside people that are just going with the crowd. You have to decide what group are you connected to. And every group has a prototype that defines or embodies everything that that group represents according to sociological theory and I believe it. And Jesus is our prototype. He is the one who embodies and defines everything ...that a human being is supposed to do and be. And he does it in a way that shows complete and total dependence on the Father. And that's why I think he read the Psalms so much. is because it was his way of doing what the church has since done... ...of connecting with the Father through the words of the Psalms. And what I'd like for you to do, if you can... ...is to join us in that process to connect with the Lord and begin to discover him as your superpower. And it starts with prayer. And we're going to be going for three more weeks on this topic. But my hope is that as we get into it, you start to see it. And it starts to define you. So I'm going to end this part of it with just prayer. And then we'll move on into into the remainder of our service. Father, we thank you that as you have given us something that is so timeless, yet so defining in what it enables us to do, you have given us prayer. It really is the pathway to your throne that has been provided through your son, Jesus. And where we are unworthy to even set foot on that path, you have showered upon us grace and mercy through a bloodstained cross. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made us fit for, for the path. You have shown us a way in contrast to other ways that we can tune into and begin to de- be defined by. I pray, Father, for our church that we would, in the sense of, of a group valuing things that you value, continue to define one another socially in ways that bring you glory and honor. And I pray for every person here as an individual that you would take that part of who we are that is just intrinsic, that is just there, and you would remake it so that the lives that we live, the fruit that we bear, the words that we say, the attitudes that we have would be enabled by nothing less than the presence of Jesus inside of us. So Father, I pray for those who have maybe pushed your son away, that you would help us in a spirit of humility to call him back because I know he's knocking on the door. And I also ask, Lord, that if there's anyone in the room that just needs to open up their heart and say, Lord, I would like for you to come in, that you help us to come alongside them in this process and make that introduction And to show what it's like to have you alive in us. I thank you Father that you've been with us. And I pray that the words that I've said have been in alignment with your purposes. As we find the source for everything we need in you. Amen.